Welcome back to episode number 154 of the Dust Safety Science Podcast. This is the podcast for building a global community around process safety and industries handling combustible dust. I'm your show host, Dr. Chris Cloney. In today's episode, we're covering dust explosion loss history in Asia. If I sound a bit different in this episode, it's because I just moved from Halifax, Nova Scotia to our new home in London, Ontario. And I'm in this rather small office that has no furniture in it yet. So the sound's echoing off the walls, coming back into the mic, and I probably sound a bit more echoey than I would normally. Uh, that's the, the reason why, but I'm excited to kind of start this new journey with my family and myself here in Ontario. And eventually I will get some furniture and get this office to sound a little bit less echoey while I'm shooting the podcast episodes. As I mentioned in the outset, this is episode 154, and we're covering dust explosion loss history in Asia. And this is the final episode in a series covering lost history around the world that we're doing starting off our fourth year recording the podcast. So in episode 151, we talked about early textbooks and regulations on combustible dust in North America. In episode 152, we talked about dust explosion loss history in North America. We saw that from the period of the 1900s through to about the 1950s, NFPA reported 20 explosions a year, 31 injuries, and 12 fatalities. And we're sort of at a similar level now in, in the United States, where we're seeing 20 to 30 dust explosions a year, 30 to 35 injuries, and we'll half the number of fatalities per year from the sort of 1950s onward into 2000s and where we're at today. In episode 153, which was the last episode, we covered lost history in Europe and the UK. In Germany, we saw that we had similar number and um, severity of explosions as the US with about 20 to 30 reported, um, 30 to 35 injuries and around six fatalities per year again. In the UK, we were seeing 15 explosions a year on average and up to a maximum of 45 injuries and and one to one and a half fatalities a year. Um, In this data, they didn't report out uh, explosions and fires, the injuries and fatalities from them. So it's sort of the maximum values assuming all of the injuries and fatalities came from explosions, the true number would probably be a little bit less than this. In Sweden, we saw a lower overall number of explosions with two to three metal dust explosions a year, up to 13 dust explosions um, across all injuries, and little injuries and fatalities in the period that was covered in the study that we looked at there. So it kind of gives you a broad range from North America through to different places in Europe, um, the United Kingdom. What kind of lost history are we seeing over the last 100 years involving combustible dust. How many incidents, how many injuries, and how many fatalities, what kind of materials and what kind of industries are involved there. Again, in this episode, we're closing up this sort of global view of lost history, talking through um, dust explosion loss history across Asia. So the question is, you know, why is it important to understand loss history in the first place? And one thing I always say is we really want to avoid forgetting what we already know. We go to the point where we think of the Imperial Sugar Refinery explosion in the United States in the, the mid-2000s as being you know, a key driver of the most recent renaissance of combustible dust awareness here in, in North America. It's important to note that the first standard or regulation or, or governing engineering guidance document for sugar was developed in the 1920s. We covered that back in episode 151. So we've known this is a hazard. We've known about housekeeping. We've known about the technological solutions. We've also known about the safety culture challenges with combustible dust for over 100 years. We just kind of relive those um, experiences as those incidents happen again. That's one of the big reasons why understanding lost history is important, just not to forget what we already know happens out there. The other is just let you, the audience that's listening to this, know what kind of resources are available, depending on what part of the world you're tuning in from. And I'll try to mention all the paper names in the previous episodes, I've done this, and I'll do this today as well, so you can look up that information. If you go to the show notes at dustsafetyscience.com slash 154, 
Uh, we should have links to all those as well. And a big key to doing this across different parts of the world is this cross-learning. So as we develop some understanding and knowledge in one location, we can really start to transfer that to other parts of the world as well so we can really speed up how rapid we are able to make change in industries. So don't forget what we already know. I want to let you know what the resources are that are available. Um, and this cross-learning from other parts of the world is a really important aspect to leading to our, our mission with Dust Safety Science, which is to see a year with zero fatalities worldwide by 2038, our, our road to zero mission. So in terms of lost history, and it's important to say this up front, the biggest challenge is it's largely underreported. Dust explosions are misreported or unreported or not reported. So the, the information that we're seeing here in this episode and in the previous episodes is sort of a small slice of the total number of incidents that are happening and the total loss. So with that in mind, then, let's go into what lost history information is available throughout Asia. So I don't know of any known database that kind of tracks this information other than the combustible dust incident database that we run. So if you do know of any of those, please contact me, chris at dustsafetyscience.com to share that. But I did find four papers that covered different regions of Asia that uh, had some really interesting information. So the first is a paper entitled Recent Development of Standardization of Testing Methods for Dust Explosions in Japan. That's written by Dr. Masa Nafuku and his coworkers in 2000. And it's published in the Journal of Loss Prevention in the Process Industries, Volume 13, uh, page 243 to page 251. The second paper is Case Studies for Dangerous Dust Explosions in South Korea During Recent Years. That's written by Pak and his coworkers, or their coworkers rather, in 2019. And it's published in the Open Journal Sustainability, Volume 11. The third and fourth papers are to do with China. One is Dust Explosion Incidents in China published by Yan and Yu in 2012 in Process Safety Progress, Volume 3, page 187 to 189. Then the, the last paper, and this is the second one in China, is a statistical analysis of coal mine accidents caused by dust, coal dust explosions in China. That's published by Zheng and his coworkers in 2019 in the Journal of Loss Prevention in the Process Industries. That's Volume 12, page 528 to 532. So let's talk about these and get an idea. Okay, we have a good understanding now of lost history of combustible dust explosions in North America, in Europe, in the United Kingdom. What does this look like across different parts of Asia? So the first one is how many dust explosions happened in Japan? So again, this is from the paper, Recent Development of Standardization of Testing Methods of dust for Dust Explosions in Japan, published by Nafuku and his coworkers. This is a joint effort by the National Institute for Resources and Environment in Japan, the Association of Powder Process Industry and Engineering, the National Research Institute of Industrial Safety, all in this effort to develop a, a Japanese international standard, industrial standard rather, for testing of combustible dust. In the paper, the authors say there were about 10 cases or less of dust explosions annually between 1950. 1970, and around five in the 1980s and 1990s for the total of all industries in Japan. But the casualty numbers are not small. So over a 44-year period from 1952 to 1995, these authors found 269 explosions, 106 fatalities, and 567 injuries. So this comes out to between five and 10 explosion incidents a year, 13 injuries a year, and two to three fatalities a year. When they looked at the materials involved, metals were the most common material with 24% of the explosions. 
26% of the injuries and 38% of the fatalities. As I kind of mentioned in the previous episode, it's interesting to look at how the different types of incidents occur in different countries. So in the U.S. and Germany, only 10 to 20% of the incidents involve metal dust. Here in the U.S., the, the vast majority, 50%, involve food and feed and, and wood and wood processing, where they play a, a much smaller role, at least in the recent years, in Japanese um, combustible dust explosions. In terms of South Korea, then, there was this paper, Case Studies for Dangerous Dust Explosions in South Korea During Recent Years, again, published by PAC and, and their co-workers. This was a joint effort by the Korea Occupational Safety and Health Agency, Major Accident Prevention Center, the Department of Environment and Safety Engineering at AU University, and Decommissioning Technology Research Division, the Atomic Energy Research Institute, and several others that are listed in the paper as well that are from different authors. This paper, the authors looked at a 34-year period from 1984 to 2018 and found 53 combustible dust and flammable solid-related explosions in South Korea. So this comes out to around 1.5 incidents a year. So it's kind of interesting to compare this to other countries, and it, it seems like a pretty low number given the relatively you know, high gross domestic product in South Korea. For example, in Sweden, we saw more than 10 explosions per year. The GDP that was similar to South Korea in the 1990s um, and is only one-third of South Korea's today. So you see a lot more industrial activities in South Korea, but a lot less reported incidents. And this may be attributed, again, to this underreporting. So if there's less workplace safety reporting going on or process safety reporting going on, then you're going to capture less incidents that were happening. So it is hard to comment on whether or not you know they are seeing more incidents and and the resulting less injuries and fatalities, so there's not getting reported, or the whole reporting system is not um, you know, as comprehensive, say, as other countries. And as we mentioned in the last podcast episode last week, Sweden seems to have a pretty comprehensive workplace reporting system compared to even other countries here in North America as well. Out of the South Korea information that was available, metals were the most common. Uh, they result in 44% of the incidents. But the authors stated that plastics were the most deadly, and this accounted for only 19% of the incidents, but over 50% of the fatalities and 47% of the injuries. They talked specifically in the paper about two case studies covering a high-density polyethylene explosion and a polypropylene dust explosion that they cover in that paper. So they don't mention the total number of fatalities and injuries in the paper or in the period studied, but it's probably likely low, as Sweden also found low numbers with you know one-tenth of the reported incidents being in South Korea, there's there's likely not as many injuries and fatalities in South Korea as we'd see in Sweden, and the numbers were pretty low there as well. The The big point, I guess, is that they have had a couple of large explosions involving plastics, so that seems to be where the, the big focus is there. But it's also important to note that you know dust explosions involving metals, food, and other processing industries are common. At least once a year, they'll have a, a large-scale explosion that's um, you know causing loss in these types of industries. So that gives you an idea of the type and number of incidents that are happening in Japan and in South Korea. I want to turn to the two papers looking at combustible dust loss history in China. So these were the dust explosion incidents in China by Yan and Yu, published in 2012 in Process Safety Progress. And the second paper is a statistical analysis of coal mine accidents caused by coal dust explosions in China. And this is by Zhang and his coworkers. So the first paper here looked at sort of general industry, it excluded coal mining in its analysis. This was published by Yan and Yu from the School of Chemistry, Chemical Machinery, rather, at Dalian University of Technology. I was fortunate enough to, to travel to Dalian a number of years ago as they hosted the International Symposium 
on hazards prevention and mitigation of industrial explosions. And they're doing a lot of excellent research there, trying to understand combustible dust incidents in China and how to prevent them um, at a, a large industry scale. In their paper, the authors covered a 31-year period from 1981 through to 2011. And they found two to three explosions per year in general industry. Again, this is excluding coal mining. They found 16 injuries and four fatalities on average per year. So this was looking at a number of incidents. And I do need to apologize. These numbers aren't, may not be that precise. They didn't have the table in the format where you could easily translate this information. So I had to write each one down on a piece of paper. So I might have missed one or two because there was 70 or 80 entries. But around two to three explosions a year, around 16 injuries and around four fatalities. And in China, they've had a number of very large, significant dust explosions with large loss. And in this period from 1981 through to 2011, they had a, a very large flax dust explosion in a facility which fatally injured 58 workers and non-fatally injured another 177 workers. So if you kind of take this very large loss incident out, you see closer to 11 injuries and two fatalities per year over this 31-year period. So it gives you an idea that the number of explosions per year, they're seeing two to three that are being reported, but they are quite severe. They're seeing 11 injuries and two fatalities, or even double those numbers, and include some of the large loss ones. I mentioned on the podcast before the 2014 Kansheng China aluminum dust explosion, where more than 250 people were injured, and at least 140 of those were injured fatally. So we do see some, some quite large loss, you know, dozens of injuries or hundreds of people injured and dozens of fatalities or, or even hundreds of people um, fatally injured, coming out of, of different regions of the world. And this can really skew the numbers to, to quite high injuries and fatalities and loss, but they're important to consider. They're important to think about, important to understand from an industrial safety context and explosion prevention and protection context is what's, what we're trying to figure out here. In China, the materials involved were closer to what we'd see here in North America. So in flour and feed industries, that made up 39% of the general industry explosions where metal made up 10% and plastics made up 15%. So to kind of close out the assessment of lost history, I want to turn to this second paper in China. And this was quite eye-opening when I read it. Um, I actually had to read it a couple of times to make sure I was you know, getting the information right. And I'll read you one of the quotes in the opening statement of this paper. This was a paper published by the State Key Laboratory of Explosion Science and Technology. That's part of the Beijing Institute of Technology, the School of Safety Science and Engineering and the International Office of Henan Polytechnic University as well, all worked together on this paper that was a statistical analysis of coal mine accidents caused by coal dust explosions in China. So in this period, they found 106 coal dust explosions had occurred in China coal mining um, industries between the years of 1949 and 2007. That's almost two a year, which is quite a large number, but the most striking and Really, the thing I had to read a couple of times to make sure I understood what it said is, is this statement here. It's in the, the opening and introduction paragraph. On November 27, 2005, Fang Coal Mine, one of China's national key mines, suffered a major coal dust explosion which claimed the lives of 171 workers. What's more, this accident was the 21st in which more than 100 employees' lives were lost. And this was as reported by Wang and Li in 2001 in a paper called China's Coal Mine Accidents and Comments from Safety Specialists as part of the Beijing Coal Industry Press or published under the Beijing Coal Industry Press. So this was their 21st 
recorded coal mine explosion with more than 100 casualties involved. Um, very large, devastating numbers from coal mining. Over the 58-year peri period they looked at, again, this was from 1959 to 2007, they found 4,613 casualties from coal mine explosions. 2,514 or about 2,500 of these involved methane in the coal mine as an explosion followed by a coal dust explosion. And almost 2,100 of these didn't involve methane gas or just straight coal dust explosions, resulting in over 80 fatalities a year or, or almost 80 fatalities a year over this 58-year period. Um, so this is a, you know, a devastating total. It really goes to show that in, in countries that are still have very active coal mining industries, such as China and elsewhere, that coal dust explosions in these mining operations can be exceedingly severe. And I know this personally, again, from my, my old house in Halifax, um, well, where, where I grew up, which was outside of Halifax, about an hour outside, about 30 minutes from there, the West Drake coal mine explosion um, occurred in 1992, which took the lives of all 26 workers that were working underground at the time. So I think some countries have started to move away from coal. Some countries have implemented safety standards because there is a lot of good guidance out there for coal mining and how to address coal mine explosions, rock dust and nerding, deflagration barriers or different kinds, better design of mine shafts and, and mine layout and that sort of thing, better safety technologies. But other countries where that's not as popular as prevalent, my, I suspect are still experiencing very large levels of loss from combustible mine dust explosions involving coal dust. This is going to be really a critical area in the years moving forward as we continue on our mission of road to zero to see a year with zero fatalities worldwide by 2038 from combustible dust to start to peel back the layers of what countries are still heavily doing mining operations and understand what can we do about um, improving the, the safety systems there. And I really like a quote from this paper by these authors that they, they put in their conclusion. And I think this applies not just to coal mining in, in China, but actually applies to all of the, the countries that we looked at over the last couple episodes um, and all the industries that we looked at as well. And they say, to sum up, SMS, so safety management systems and safety culture, badly need to be put in practice to prevent coal mines from being hit by coal dust explosions. Safety management systems, and including management of technical affairs, is the hardware necessary to guarantee safety. And safety culture is the software. So that's a really interesting way to put it. Safety management systems, SMS, is the hardware. It's the nuts and bolts of what you need to have implemented to improve safety, um, where safety culture is the software. That's the, the piece, the kind of disk you sit, stick into the drive to run the hardware at the end of the day. And both sides of that equation are needed to improve safety and industries handling combustible dust. So that's it for the lost history of different parts of, of Asia. We covered Japan, South Korea, and China. Um, I want to restate the three key takeaways from last episode as well. Takeaway number one was that different regions of the world will have different challenges with combustible dust. So we saw this in South Korea and Japan where metal dust are the most common uh, materials involved in combustible dust explosions, where in the US, Germany, and China, food and feed play a much bigger role. In China and elsewhere in the world, coal mining and coal dust explosions still play a critical role in the severity and overall um, loss of life and limb from combustible dust explosions. They really need a lot of attention and improvement moving forward as well. Takeaway number two was that different workplace reporting requirements will impact how much combustible dust information is captured. 
And this kind of plays into something we saw here where we saw really low incident rates in South Korea than we saw in Sweden, even though there's a lot more industrial activity. If you, if you take that industrial activity is governed by GDP, which there's a, a good argument to be made there, but at least a similar amount of industrial activity or more, um, but a, quite a bit lower rate of incidents that are being reported. So how do we, how do we rectify that? And at the end of the day, it, it might be due to more stringent workplace reporting requirements in different countries. And we're capturing more of a, the total incidents that are occurring. And this is the piece that I really want to harp on. You've heard me talk about in the last couple episodes. So I think it's more important for us to know and quantify what we're missing than what we're actually capturing. So sure, I share all these numbers, but you know, what percentage of the total that are actually happening out there? And what are we missing that's not feeding into the, the information that we're, we're developing as a global community for combustible dust? So to give an example, if we have a country that sees two or three large plastic dust explosions, but plastic is a small contributor to their industry, then sure, that's an industry that needs attention, but it may take attention away from other industries where the next accident's just about to happen. So we can quantify, well, in this country, you know, we're seeing these, these plastic dust explosions as a big issue, but we're only capturing 10% of the information available and we quantify what we're not capturing, then we might get to a place where we can better predict from a leading indicator standpoint where we can go in terms of our safety management programs and in terms of our recommendations for safety management systems. So a third takeaway, and this ties into all the rest, is just this need for a global reporting network. I've talked about this a number of times, and it's really to develop a common system for incident reporting in terms of what's reported, what's captured, how's it stored. Um, we're starting to do this at the Combustible Dust Incident Database, but I really see a need to expand this out and bring on maybe a working group or put together a group of individuals to start to tackle this challenge together. My vision, again, is sort of this working group where we can come up with what is the common system for reporting what's available, how can we quantify you know, what, what percentage of incidents we're capturing in different countries, having a representative from each country that knows the language and the culture that can provide guidance and direction on the reporting network. Um, and if this is something you're interested in, um, you can email me, chris at dustsafetyscience.com, or you can go to dustsafetyshare.com. Um, you can enter your name there as being interested in being part of this working group. And as we start developing in 2022, we'll reach out and bring you onto the team there as well. So I think this is, this is where we're headed in terms of the incident reporting. This is where we're headed in terms of understanding of loss from combustible dust explosions around the world. And again, it's these three things. Not forgetting what we already know, bring this information from one part of the world to other parts of the world as well. And also just letting people know what resources are available. So if you're in a plastic manufacturing facility in, say, Malaysia or I don't know, some other country, and you can bring that information in that's been developed already in South Korea, that's a much faster way to develop knowledge transfer than by learning the hard way and waiting until something happens in your industry or your country. So that's it for this episode. We covered what loss history information is available in Asia. We talked through these four papers, recent development of standardization of testing methods for dust explosions in Japan by Nafuku and his coworkers, this was published in 2000, in the year 2000, in Journal of Loss Prevention in the Process Industries, in Volume 13. We covered case studies for dangerous dust explosions in South Korea during recent years. This is by PAK, P-A-K, and coworkers, in 2019, published in the Open Access Journal of Sustainability, Volume 11. We covered dust explosion incidents in China by Yan and Yu, published in 2012 in Process Safety Progress, in Volume 13. We covered a statistical analysis of coal mine accidents caused by coal dust explosions in China by Zhang and their coworkers 
in 2009 in the Journal of Loss Prevention in the process industries as well. That's in volume 22. In Japan, we saw five to 10 explosions a year, resulting in 13 injuries and two to three fatalities in a 44-year period from 1952 to 1995. In South Korea, we saw one and a half explosion incidents a year over a 34-year period from 1984 to 2018. And in China, we saw two to three explosions per year, 10 to 15 injuries and two to four fatalities per year on average over the year that they looked at. And that excludes coal mining. So in coal mining, we saw almost two incidents a year, but averaging 80 fatalities per year, 46,000, 4,600 rather, casualties over that 48 period. Um, again, we had an incident in 2007, I believe, that was reported there. There was the 21st reported coal mining incident involving coal dust that uh, has taken over 100 employees' lives in, in that country alone. So it gives you kind of a broad swath of what kind of lost history is happening around the world and how that compares to North America, how that pairs, compares to Europe and other regions that we've been looking at over the last couple of episodes. I kind of restate these three takeaways. Takeaway number one, different regions of the world will have different challenges with combustible dust. Takeaway number two is that different workplace reporting requirements will impact how many incidents are captured and what we can learn from those incidents. And takeaway number three is that there's a real need for a global approach, a global reporting network for this. If you're interested in more on this topic or the previous topics we discussed, you can go to dustsafetyscience.com slash 154 or slash whatever the podcast episode number was that you're interested in. You can shoot me an email at chris at dustsafetyscience.com. If you're interested in joining us in this global reporting network, if you're interested in being a you know, a country leader, a country representative, um, that'd be a big help. And that's something we're looking at starting up in 2022. So you can go to dustsafetyshare.com, which will bring you to a, a page where you can sign up for that or provide any other information that you see from your perspective in terms of combustible dust as well. Again, you can always reach me um, at chris at dustsafetyscience.com. So as always, I want to say thank you for listening to the Dust Safety Science Podcast. I appreciate everything you're doing and entries handling combustible dust, whether or not it's here in Canada, if it's in you know, United States, if it's in Latin America, if it's in Asia or Europe or UK or anywhere else in the world, Australia, New Zealand, we really appreciate the efforts that you're doing and the role that you're playing in industries handling combustible dust, making them safer every day with the work that you're doing. And I look forward to bringing you the next episode of the podcast next week at Dust Safety Science. Mm-hmm.